Please. Okay, you know I'm Xavier's wife, but know that I don't teach like Xavier. <laughs> I was looking at his introduction um, because we're privy to all his notes. Um, matter of fact, all of you guys are. But as I was looking at the notes, I go, wow. Okay. So I hope you're not expecting uh, Xavier to teach you tonight because it's just the wife. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now, Lord, and we just praise you for your grace, your mercy, your truth, your justice, just your hope that you give to us as believers, Lord. Father, the way in which you have loved us with an everlasting love, with loving kindness, you have drawn every one of us. And Lord, I thank you for the women that you have brought today. And Lord, I ask that you would just bless them as they come, as they sit, as they desire to grow in your wisdom and knowledge and stature. You, Lord. Father, I just pray that you would open our eyes spiritually and our heart to be able to comprehend that the word would go deep upon that rich soil and that it would take root and that we would bear fruit, um, fruit that would honor you that would glorify you. So, Lord, I just lift up these women to you, Lord, and I ask that you would have your hand upon them, Lord. Father, just feed them from the resources of your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the theme of Hebrews is the superiority of Christ over Judaism. The book of Hebrews was written as a warning to Jewish believers wanting to retreat back to Judaism in order to escape persecution. Jews in general had always experienced persecution. And even as you think about it today, aren't Jews experiencing persecution today? There's always, always some problem that people have with Jews today. Um, But at this time, for the Jew to become a Christian really meant persecution for them at this time. To to, um, accept Jesus as their Messiah and to be joined to a church with Jews and Greeks alike was just appalling, absolutely appalling to the Orthodox Jew. Uh, Jewish believers were a target of prejudice and an object of scorn. I mean, they just were looked down on. They were the worst of the worst. Uh, their decision to follow Christ would often mean no home, no families, no job, and no support of their former Jewish peers. So really, they were just isolated. They, nobody wanted anything to do with them. Um, and I think about when I first got saved, I knew a young woman who became a Christian who was a Jew, and her family literally um, gave her a funeral and just looked at her as that she was dead and she was gone. Uh, when the book was written, these Jewish Christians had professed Christ for some time. They were not new believers when this book was written. In Hebrews 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So these Jewish believers experienced signs. They experienced wonders. They experienced the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They experienced gifts of the Holy Spirit. So they knew what it was to walk with God. They knew what it was to have a personal, intimate relationship with uh, God's Son. 
They had confessed their faith in Jesus as their apostle and high priest. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. These believers knew what it was to suffer for Christ. They were not strangers to suffering. They had once shown great proof of their determined faith. Listen to what the author says to them in Hebrews 10, verses 32 through 34. Listen very carefully. I just was kind of blown away as I listened to actually their their testimony uh, from this author's point of view. He says, Remember those early days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with me in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. These Jewish believers knew what it was to walk with God. They knew what it was to suffer for Christ's sake. But when the letter was written, they had reached a state of discouragement and spiritual lethargy. Listen to Hebrews 5, verse 11 and 12. Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by... This time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. When he says you've become dull of hearing, he says you've stopped learning. You've stopped growing. What what a message to every one of us. That we are to continue. We are to continue to grow and, and go on to what God has called us to. They had stopped learning. They had stopped growing. One commentator stated it was a case of pilgrim's regress and not pilgrim's progress. They are compared to a ship which is drifting wherever the current uh, may take it. Hebrews 2, 1 says, Therefore, we must give the most earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. That is a caution for every one of us. We must take earnest heed to what we have heard, lest we drift away. Have you ever seen a ship that's just drifting? There's no anchor and there's no sail and it's just drifting. That was a picture of every one of us before we came to Jesus Christ. That is not to be a picture of any of us when we're walking with Christ, rooted and built up in him. Um, We've all seen believers who have come, who have grown, who have just tasted and matured in the Lord. And for whatever reason, whatever happened in their lives, they've walked away. And, And the word that was so important to them that they hungered and thirsted after they have no taste for anymore. We've all seen people like that. It's a scary place to be. The author warns these believers in Hebrews 3, verse 14, for we have become partakers of Christ. And listen, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, it's not how you start your walk with Jesus Christ. It's how you end it. Before we got started, we were praying in the other room for all of you gals. And one of the girls prayed, Lord, this isn't a sprint. It's a marathon. 
This is a marathon that you and I are engaged in from the time we're born again until he takes us home. Hebrews 10 verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The author adds that they should hold fast the profession of their faith without being shaken by their trials or by the opposing arguments of the enemies. We have the same encouragement today that we are to hold fast the profession of our faith today. God's word is always relevant. I love it. I love it. We are to hold fast. We have people that are in our face because we don't believe in abortion, because we don't believe in homosexuality, because we believe in morality. We are to hold on to the confession of our faith. We are to stand fast. We are to be a light in the midst of this dark world in which we are living. Um, Some of these Jewish believers had given up meeting with other believers because they found the increasing opposition to their faith in Jesus among their Jewish families and friends just far too difficult. They weren't willing to press on. Um, It is critical as believers that we come together. The writer states in Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. As we come together, we are able to encourage and exhort one another. You know, you always hear, oh, I don't need to go to church. Oh, yes, you do. We all do. We can't survive alone. We need one another. We, we are interdependent. We need one another to encourage one another. How many times have you come to church and you have just been so downcast? And then the message or a sister or a brother encourages you. And it's like, oh, all right. She's been through that. You're going to actually, you're going to partake of that in your discussion groups. And that's what I love about these discussion groups. As someone shares a scripture, you're going to be going through something. And as they share how God ministered a scripture, it's going to minister to your need. It's going to just blow you out of the water. I liked what our, our, um, the, the, the gentleman we had um, Saturday at the conference. I like that. That's what God does. You know, as sisters and brothers and ministering to one another, it just opens up our understanding. So we need to be at church. He says, forsake not the gathering of the saints. What is he saying? We come together. We minister to one another. It is vital. It is critical to our walk. Um, it's believed that the book of Hebrews was written during... Um, to the Jewish Christians during uh, uh, living in Rome during the time of 65 A.D. Between 65 and 68 A.D., the Emperor Nero's insanity and his persecution against Christians in Rome were at its worst. And we've all heard the stories of what Christians went through in Rome, where they would put Christians up on a, a stake and they'd light them up with uh, tar, and they were they were light. They were thrown into different places. They were just brutally, brutally just um, suffered for their Christian faith. But it's believed that um, a fire broke out, I think it's uh, 64 AD, and it was believed that Nehru set that on fire so that he could build other things. And when he was suspected of setting fire to um, Rome, he diverted attention from himself and he blamed the Christians. And so you can imagine how the, the persecution intensified when they believed that the Christians had set fire to Rome. 
Without a doubt, this was a traumatic time for Jewish believers. Jewish believers were already hated by Jewish uh, communities for their conversion. It had come to the point that their faith in Jesus and their participation in the church was proving to be actually deadly for the believer. And because of it, some were wavering and wondering uh, if w- what they had done was, should I even do this? Should I even continue? Is it worth it? You know, and I don't know if you're familiar with the Elam ministries and the things that have taken place over there and just um, the underground church and the persecution that they go through. And I'll never forget picking up a pamphlet and one man was um, cut in the throat. Another one was hung in a, um, a forest. And there was just one thing after another that were happening to these Christians. And I'll, I'll never forget that I was talking to um, the, the gentleman who began Elam Ministries. And some of those people, when they were taken captive, they gave the numbers and they gave the addresses of the home church. They broke under the severe persecution that they were under in Iran. And he said, you know what we do to those people when they come back? And I'm listening. He says, we forgive them. We love them. Because none of us are ever going to know how we're going to respond when we're under severe persecution. And God is so gracious that no matter how far we fall, God will pick us up. God will forgive us. God will cleanse us. And so this is where some of these believers were at this time. Is it worth it for me to continue in my walk? Is it even really true? This is horrible persecution that they're going under. Um, So it was critical that they be exhorted and encouraged in God's truth. Just as you and I find ourselves in difficult circumstances and someone comes along and ministers and encourages us, the writer of Hebrew brings his readers face to face with the central issue. And it begins with the son of God. Is he the son of God or is he not? This is what he's wanting his readers to understand. This is the conclusion. Is he or isn't he? Every one of us have come to that same conclusion. Is Jesus the son of God? Of course he is. We've accepted him. We've asked him into our heart. He's manifested his grace in our life in so many ways. He's died for us. There's just, it it goes on and on and on and on. And Hebrews 10 verse 39 says, For we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Understanding who the Lord is, there is no doubt so that you may be bold in your faith so there can be no compromise. If you know who Jesus is, then you want to press forward. You want to go on. I read a story the other day which told of a believer who was hauled before the emperor. And I don't know what time, I I forgot to see what time of history this was, but the emperor stated, if you don't recant your faith, threaten the monarch, I'll throw you into prison. Then I'll have a whole new group of a whole new group to preach to in the jail, said the man. I'll kill you, roared the emperor. Then the man replied, I have eternal life through Jesus Christ. I'll have you tortured, said the emperor, to which the man said, Then I'll follow in the steps of my Lord. For he too was tortured, and in the process he redeemed the whole world. I'll condemn you to slavery, said the monarch. I'm already a slave for Christ. I'll burn you at the stake. You threaten me with flames, but the, but the, uh, that burned for a moment, but you're facing hell. The emperor finally released the Christian, shaking his head, saying, what do you do with a man like that? 
I love it. And as I thought about that man, I thought of another individual in the pages of scriptures. His name is Paul. And I think of Paul as this biography of him in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Listen to Paul's biography. Paul says, in great distress, anguish of heart, great pressure beyond our ability to endure it, despising even of life, not equal to the task, not competent, deadly peril, hard-pressed on every side, harassed at every turn, struck down, perplexed, downcast, beaten, flogged, shipwrecked, sorrowful, poor, sleepless nights. We may seem to have failed. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. Paul was not one who would shrink back. What do you do with a man like that? I like what Paul says in Romans 1, verse 16. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and then to the Greeks. I think that's why I have such a hard time with the emergent church and how they water down the gospel so much that you can't tell the difference between the church and the world. Or as we learned Saturday, the culture has crept into the church. We are to be light in the midst of this dark world. We are to let our light so shine before our Father in heaven that we glorify him. As they learned severe persecution, many Jewish believers would have been tempted to follow the path of least resistance, returning to the synagogue. They would have found a refuge. They would have found protection under the canopy of Judaism that had legal status in Rome at that time. But as, but as the letter would be circulated, as they read the letter that Paul sent, it would reaffirm their faith. It would instruct them. It would teach them as they read the letter, just as you read the letter that God has given you that is sitting on your lap, how it reaffirms, how it ministers to you, how it causes you to grow and to grow. And this is what the author was doing as this letter was circulated. Um, It would discourage them from returning to the old covenant. The author of Hebrews presents a simple theme. Christ is superior. The word better is used 13 times in this book. The first 10 chapters reveals Christ is better than the Old Testament economy. The last three chapters reveals Christ is better in benefits and duties. The author will present a series of arguments for the superiority of Jesus over all rivals and opposing claims and allegiances. The writer seeks to prove that through Christ, there is a better hope, a better covenant, a better sacrifice, and better promises. In reality, there is so much to be gained in Christ and everything to lose in going back to Judaism. Pressing on in Christ produces a tested faith, self-discipline, and a visible love seen in good works. The privilege of every believer is to experience the fullness of Christ, his glory, and his power. This letter will demonstrate the superiority of Christ, and we're going to look at three different areas. First, the superiority of Christ's person in chapters 1 through 4, verse 13. Second, we're going to look at the superiority of Christ's work in chapters 4, verse 14, through chapter 10, verse 18. And third, the superiority of Christ's walk in faith in chapters 10, 19, through chapter 13, 
through verse 25. Let's let's briefly look at the first, the superior of Christ's person. The book opens by demonstrating the superiority of Christ over the Old Testament prophets and then reveals Christianity is built upon the personal revelation of God through his incarnate son. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse uh, 1 through 3, it tells us, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by a son, whom he has pointed heir of all things, through whom also he has made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the expressed image of his person, upholding all things uh, by his word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The author will establish that Jesus is greater than the angels, the mediators of the Mosaic law in chapters 1 and 2. This is seen in his name, his position, his worship by angels, and his incarnation. The Son of God partook of flesh and blood and was made like his brethren in all things in Hebrews 2, verse 17. And in Hebrews 2, 10, in order to bring many sons to glory. Jesus is greater than Moses and Joshua in chapters 3 and 4. We will learn Moses was a servant in the house of God, but Jesus is the Son of God over God's household. He is not taken away from Moses, but wants them to understand Christ's superiority over Moses. Because of these truths, they are exhorted, exhorted to avoid the divine judgment that is to come upon unbelief. The author points to the children of Israel and how they, how they stayed in the wilderness because of their unbelief. Then it speaks of the rest that Christ offers is so much greater than what was provided by Joshua as they did enter the promised land. The readers are urged to enter the eternal rest that is obtained by faith in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. There is nothing in heaven or earth that surpasses the superiority of the Son. No other letter focuses as full on the present greatness of Christ as Hebrews except for the book of Revelations. Only in Hebrews is this developed to contrast with the great human leaders of the past, Abraham, Moses, Aaron, Joshua, as well as angelic authorities, leaving Jesus alone, occupying the place of ultimate authority in the universe. He shares the very throne of God by right and conquest, by presenting the absolute glory of the Savior who is fully man and fully divine. The author sought to encourage Jewish believers to reaffirm the fullness of their uh, true Messiah, King Jesus Christ, which, gemins, which demonstrates his superiority. Second, the superiority of Christ's work. As we look at Christ's preeminence over the Old Testament law, and priesthood in chapter 4. The author gives numerous examples of how Jesus is greater than the earthly priesthood in uh, chapters 5 through 7. Because of his incarnation, Christ can sympathize with our weakness, having been in all points tempted as we are. And I love it because if you think about the priesthood and just how, when you know anything about the priesthood, the priests would walk down the street and they would take their robes and they would bring them close to them. 
And the reason they brought them very close to them, they didn't want their robes to touch anything unclean, not an unclean Gentile, not an unclean Jew. They just were so separated and, and far removed from the common people. Unlike Jesus, our high priest, who sympathizes because he bore our sin, because he walked this earth so that he may know in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Christ was not a Levite, but he qualified for a higher priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek. Israel's history reveals the superiority of Melchizedek to Levi by the fact that Levi, in effect, paid tithes through Abraham to Melchizedek in Hebrews chapter 7, uh, verses 10 and verse 9. The readers of this book are warned to go on to perfection by moving beyond the basics of salvation and repentance. And how sad. You and I have met people that all they've ever gone on to is their salvation. And salvation and repentance is awesome. But there's so much more that God wants to do in a believer. It's not just the fire insurance he wants to give us. He wants us to grow and to mature and to become more like him. By a divine oath in Hebrews 7.21, Christ has become a permanent and perfect high priest and the mediator of a better covenant for you and I. Christ is greater than the old covenant in chapters 8 and 9 and greater than the whole Mosaic sacrificial system in chapter 10. The new covenant has made the old covenant obsolete in chapter 8. You'll remember that Galatians chapter 3 verse 24 says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Remember Hebrews 10 verse 1 says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifice which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. It's only through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. As the high priest ministered in a building made with hands, our great, our great high priest, Jesus, ministers in a greater and more perfect tabernacle. We're told in Hebrews 9, verse 11, Christ came as a high priest of good things to come with the greater and more perfect tab- tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation. Imagine Unlike the former priest, he offers himself. He is the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the sinless and voluntary sacrifice once and for all in Hebrews chapter 9 and 10. No other New Testament book deals as fully with the present priesthood of Jesus being a better sacrifice as found in Hebrews chapter 9. No other book traces both the comparisons and contrasts of Melchizedek's priesthood with the Levitical priesthood. None other urges believers with such passion and confidence to call upon their great high priest for help in daily pressures and trials. We can go to our high priest no matter when, time, place, 24-7. You could not do that. With the Levitical priesthood. You could not do that. You could not go to them 24-7. We can go to Jesus anytime. These comparisons would have made it clear to the Jewish believers that their return to Judaism would have been a move backwards in God's progressing plan of redemption. This demonstrates the superiority of Christ's work. And third, the superiority of the Christian's walk um, 
Having the privilege and knowledge of Christ's superiority, the readers are warned of the danger of discarding their faith in Christ in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 uh, and chapter 13. The faith that the readers must maintain is defined and illustrated in Hebrews chapter 11. If you know anything about Hebrews chapter 11, it's the hall of faith, which described the triumphs and the accomplishments of faith in the lives of the Old Testament believers, encouraging readers of something far better. Hebrews traces the hope through the centuries by listing the lives of many heroes in faith in chapter 11. We are reminded of the confidence of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their forefathers, and the faith that they endured. We read of Joseph and how he trusted God even after being unjustly accused and thrown into prison. We are reminded of Moses and his willingness to leave the riches of Egypt uh, because of his confidence in God. And there are so many others, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and still others who were destitute, afflicted, tormented, and some died a horrible death because of their faith. So these Hebrew believers, these Jewish believers, had this history. They knew exactly about this. And so do we. We're aware of this. And we can look back on those who have gone through the difficulties in their lives prior Uh, As we look to the saints of old and of Jesus who endured great hostility, we, the believer, will sometimes have to endure divine hardships and discipline for the sake of holiness. We're told in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. As we look to these individuals, they trusted God, and they are remembered as great men and women of faith. The readers are warned not to turn away from Christ, but to place their hope in him. The character of their lives must be shaped by their dedication to Christ, as well as you and I. Our, our growth is dependent upon our dedication to Jesus Christ. In chapter 11, we're told Christ is our guide for life's challenges and the walk of righteousness is a walk of faith. In chapter 12, we learn that the life of faith comes, um, faith comes hope, which provides strength to endure trials. In chapter 13, with faith and hope comes love, which enables believers to encourage others to endure. The very practical closing chapters would have compelled uh, uncertain Jewish believers to persevere, to persevere in faith, hope, love, uh, in the midst of these brutal trials and these temptations. Now, let me ask you a few questions. Do we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, infinitely higher than any angel, who is both the creator of all things and the final arbitrator of all human efforts? Are we trusting in his death on the cross and his bodily resurrection as full and complete grounds of our salvation? Are we or are we still looking to some act or some ritual service performed uh, as to make a way for us to come to heaven? Are you trying to earn your salvation? 
Do we habitually turn to Jesus as our great high priest to find inner strength, to find pressures, uh, to face pressures, resist temptations, conquer guilt, or achieve self-control in our daily situations? Are we allowing our culture to lure us back into the practices or the deeds that are inconsistent with the new life that we have in Christ? Do we count it a high privilege to take up our cross daily for his reproach in the midst of a confused and immoral world? Is the expectation of the return of Jesus Christ over the whole earth a reality to every one of us? Do we recognize the loving hand of God upon us in the midst of hardship, disappointments, and trials? Do we recognize his strength upon us, allowing these opportunities to display his character to those around us? These are the concerns of the writer of Hebrews. These are the things that accompany salvation. Listen to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9. It says, But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. They must all become our daily concern if we are to lay full hold of the better things. I am amazed how current... Uh, the word of God is in every generation, in every book that we read. It doesn't matter. It's current. It applies to our everyday situations. These Jewish believers are significant to every one of us today. Many of us can sense the increasing anti-Christian culture and the pressure to conform to the values and the uh, priorities of this present world as it becomes darker and darker. You know, I just watched on the news a couple probably about a month ago, uh, of a person being questioned by the Senate because uh, this person may not be able to make proper judgments because of their Christian values. And it was later contended that no Muslim would have ever been questioned for their religious beliefs. There is no doubt in my mind that the name of Jesus brings such overwhelming controversy. The name of Jesus represents the division of life between good and evil, God and Satan, light and darkness, righteousness and sin, heaven and hell. What an advantage if Satan can keep our world blinded uh, to the truth of Jesus Christ. Like the first century Jewish followers of the Messiah who were tempted to abandon his way, truth and life for a more comfortable path, we're all fall prey to this at times. We can all look back and say, wasn't life a little easier before I accepted Christ? Isn't that what happened with Lot's wife? She she was warned not to look back. She looked back and became a pillar of salt. The children of Israel, Lord, it was so much easier in Egypt. You know, when we were getting beaten and, and the whips. Yeah, that was a lot easier, wasn't it? Sometimes we have this foggy vision that things were a lot easier. They were not. They were not. I think of Second uh, Timothy chapter four verse ten. We're told that Demas had forsaken Paul, having loved this present world. What attracts you back there? What brings us back there all the time? We need to understand it's nothing more than a trick of the enemy. Satan wants to bring you back. Many believers are tempted to believing that life was easier prior to becoming a Christian. The past always looks better than it actually was. Jesus said in Luke 9, verse 62, uh, no one having put in, putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know why? Because we press forward to the high calling that Jesus has called us to. Every one of us 
needs to come to grips with the sufficiency of Christ and his absolute authority over all things. Whatever the trial, the turmoil that you're dealing with today, Christ is superior, just as he was superior for the first century church in the book of Hebrews. He never changes. In Hebrews uh, 13, verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Today, as we face what appears to be critical times, which in reality is no different than the early church, there will always be challenges for God's people. Our source is always to come back to the word of God, to be reminded of the rich resources found in God's word. Man continually changes but God and his word never changes. We can't be led away by being uh, comforted past or present experiences. Never, ladies, place experience above the word of God. The believing Jews were looking back to their accepted practice of Judaism, which no longer had a place in their relationship with Jesus. The big idea that runs throughout the book of Hebrews is simply this. You can trust God. No matter what you're going through, you can trust God. Throughout this book, especially in chapters 11 through 12, we discover men and women of faith who have done just that. They trusted God despite the difficult circumstances. And this is what is presented before you and I. We can trust him no matter what. And it is our prayer that as you study the book of Hebrews, you will grow spiritually, mature, and you will fight the good fight of faith. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord. And Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you are better than all things. Lord, help us to turn our eyes to you. Help us to stay fixed on you, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Cause us to grow. Cause us to mature. Cause us to be a light in the midst of this dark world. Lord, we desire to be your handmaidens. We desire to sit at your feet. We desire to be more like you. So, Father, give us the wisdom. Give us the understanding. Give us the ability by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, ladies.